Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed and smack bang in the season of Noel. I'm joined by a group of guys who still despise that bastard Cantwell. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, Jefferson Lake and Brendan Walsh. How are you doing guys? You all right? Right, mate. Yeah, all right, mate. Good to have you on. It's getting towards Christmas now, so we'll probably have a little break at some point. But Andy, you know the uh, chant for the aforementioned Cantwell, Noel Cantwell was the manager of Peterborough back in the day. I've got a little quiz for you, Andy. Can you tell me the team that Noel Cantwell managed before Peterborough? I bet you can't, but I'm just going to go. No, it's <laughs> the quick answer. <laughs> I really can't, no. Uh, what, is it was... some, somewhere in the region? No, no, no. It's transcontinental. It's internet. It's, uh, you know, across the Atlantic. Oh, mate. I don't know. Portland. <laughs> Kansas <laughs> City Wizards. It's something along those lines. It's actually the Jacksonville T-Men. Oh, <laughs> I was doing a little Google of him before because I've heard because Jeff's told us that his friend still sings that chant about the Peterborough manager Noel Cadwell. So I thought I'll have a little look at Noel Cadwell, and um, he only managed them for two years in the eighties. So this <laughs> Jeff, this chant must have caught on quite quickly over it. It's your mate, isn't it, Jeff? Lasting legacy, yes, my mate, um, and Ian knows him as well. It's Nick Fitzpatrick who we who um, lived near Ian, I think, in Dustin back in the day, and who I was my year at school, so I started going to Cobblers games with him. He sings it um, a lot at this time of year as well because it's got quite a festive feel to it, hasn't? Yeah, I think hate always goes well in the, in the festive period, doesn't it? Yeah, it's always a bit of love and hate at Christmas. <laughs> the Jacksonville team, man. I thought he's gone from Jacksonville team man to the to the posh. Go figure. Uh, Andy, have you got a football moment of the week for us? Uh, yes, I have, I suppose. And it was the um, fa- fans back in grounds. So uh, what happens? We get um, fans being absolute muppets. Uh, you know, the the, 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 the Millwall uh, lot um, sort of booing the um, players taking the knee. I mean, I'm sure others probably had this on their radar as well. Um, if that's If that's all you've got... Um, let them get get on with it because you're um, you know you've come through the looking glass really because um, it's freedom of speech you know those those who booed the players taking the you know the knee at Millwall 
you know, you're, you're ignorant, you're misguided, you're a little bit dopey um, and worse. Um, you know, you, you, you're straight up racist, some of you. Um, but you're missing the point if you want them banned. It's still the right to protest and give people enough rope and um, let, let them hang themselves with it, really. It's ridiculous. It's repugnant. But, but let them do it. Don't ban them. That's all you've got. Then get on with it. You're idiots. And everyone can see see it for what it is. Yeah, I, I guess maybe drawing them out into the light is actually the best thing because it sort of brings out some some opinions which are just sort of usually under the surface and, and brings them out, draws them out into the light is, is a good thing. I, I just think like a lot of people say that they're patriots towards England, but I don't think Englishness is, is really anything about being in sort of intolerant. And it's about, I think being English is about having a sense of fair play. And you might not agree with Black Lives Matter, but let let the um, BAME community have their thing let them do their thing you know let them get on with it and you don't have to agree with it or don't agree with it but just let them have their thing I think didn't QPR the Millwall's next opponents say that they weren't going to do taking the knee from then on and then decided to do it I think Les Ferdinand and Mark Warburton they made, they made the point a fairly nuanced point that said they weren't sure that other that it carrying it on was perhaps advancing things almost like it had its moment. I think they used the analogy of the clap for carers yeah. thing, but yeah. they, um, you know, after the the behaviour of um, of the Millwall supporters, um, who, you know, to be to be fair, you know, I'm sure their the dislike of political statements and that, you know, I'm sure they stand in applause every time James McLean refuses to wear a poppy. Um, mm. They, you know. That QPR said, well, actually, we, we need we need to make that point and, and yeah, say exactly. Black Lives Matter. It's, it's not it's not a hard thing, you know, as a white guy to say. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool. You don't have to be a raving lefty or or a Marxist, as everyone seems to be expert <laughs> in Marxism these days. Um, you know, to to have, you know to have some sympathy or at least some understanding of why people feel they need to kneel, but. Let's sort of bring it down to a lighter tone. I think we've uh, we've covered that pretty well. Um, Martin. <laughs> You're, you're Mr. Baseball, you know, of the podcast, Baseball <laughs> Impresario. I've got a little quiz for you to see how much you actually know about baseball. Because I've been doing a lot of research on this, mate. Oh, OK, you'll you're probably humiliate me in public. No, here, no. On. <laughs> it's a fun quiz. It's a fun quiz. So, right, this, this quiz is, you've got to guess. I'm going to say some team names from American sport. And you've got to tell me whether they are either minor league basketball teams or minor league baseball teams. And I've done okay, my go on. I, I'm up for this one. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, I know you follow a lot of sports as well, so you might have a little bit. Of it. But these are these are if you know these teams, mate, these are obscure. These are obscure teams, right? Okay, first one, the Delaware Blue Coats. Right, Is that I'm, basketball or baseball? I'm pretty sure they're basketball. That is correct. Have you heard of this team? No, I'm <laughs> going by the fact. Yeah, I kind of pretty much, I reckon, if I don't know their name, they're not going to be baseball. But I know I'm going to eat me words on the next question. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so that's one out of one. Well done, Martin. Next one, the Brooklyn Cyclones. Basketball or baseball? Brooklyn Cyclones. They, I believe they're an affiliate of the New York Mets and they are indeed baseball. Oh my God, Martin! Your level of not—you know—I was joking that you would know just baseball. This is you actually know. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's correct. Okay, this one, Mahoning Valley Scrappers. Ooh, Mahoning Valley Scrappers. Name, but I would say that's basketball. 
Martin, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh, really? Oh. Sounded baseball. I couldn't picture him. The Mahoning Valley is well known for its baseball, Martin, so you've really let yourself down. <laughs> okay, next one. The Appalachian Clunge Dippers. That is, I am pretty sure that is basketball. <laughs> so you think the Appalachian Clunge Dippers is basketball? I'm going to say yes. I just made that one up, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of it. There there are some crazy names in minor league sports. Uh, I can't remember the team that have got a um, ham 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 and bacon style kit. Um, The the High Valley Iron Pigs, I think. Did you not click when I when I mentioned the Appalachian Clunge Dippers? Now I know there's a lot of Clunge Dipping going on in the Appalachian Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that one's made up. Okay, this one's a real one. The last one. Fort Myers, Mighty Muscles. Basketball. Fort Myers, Mighty Muscles, as in the, the sort of seafood uh, element. That actually is baseball. I'm sorry, Martin. Ah, ah, I was thinking Mighty Muscles the other way, but yeah, okay, yeah, you've you've done me there. I, I was a couple of more familiar with and a couple less so. <laughs> That, that was a mixed bag of answers, Martin. Next week, we'll do it again next week and we we'll see if you can get higher. I think you've got two out of five. Ian, let's move on to you now, mate. It's getting towards Christmas, so I'm going to pose this one to you. Like, if you could have one Cobblers player from the past as a Christmas present that he had to live with you and your family for the rest of your life, who would it be? I'd go for the current player. I'd go for Sam Hoskins. I, okay. I just think because he's, he can do anything, can't he? And think of all the jobs he'd get done for me around the house that I wouldn't have to do. It'd be he's perfect. also quite small, so he's not going to like, you know, it doesn't cost a lot to feed him or like, you know. I live, the, in, a, I live in a bungalow. I live in a bungalow, but as crowded as it is, I could, I could, I could leave <laughs> the inflatable bed in the garage easy, couldn't I? There's so many jobs that need doing. He can, you can bring him around Christmas Day time. I'd get him started on that shed. Emptying the shed, knocking it down, putting a new one up. Is he can do anything, can't he? So I'll bring him in. And actually, that actually leads me on to my football moment of the week, Tom. Inadvertently, um, okay. Not only is there going to be two Nicholas Fitzpatrick mentions tonight, Jeff, unbelievably, <laughs> coincidentally, it's going to be two Sam Hoskins ones. Um, by the way, Tom, apologies for any background noise with my kids. I've been wrestling with this phone since they've come home from school today because they want to watch YouTube and play Mario Kart on it. So I've only had about 28% possession, 28% possession of this phone tonight. But it's what you do with that. <laughs> That's more than covers. Tom won't be happy. <laughs> I'm not I'm not happy with that level. It's got to be at least 42%. Ian. Honestly, I hardly get a look in on this phone. Um, right, my football moment of the week. Don't know if you saw it. Yet again, I've gone for the premium sports website. Sorry, Jeff, not Sky Sports. I've gone for the BBC Sport website again. For God's sake. I'm sorry, mate. Um, I don't know if anyone saw it. In the Persian League, player did a somersault throw-in, which also led to a goal. We haven't seen one of them for a long time, have we? A somersault throw-in. <laughs> yeah. Not well, enough. Paul, does it Paul Goddard used to do them back in the uh, back in the eighties? Um, anyway, yeah, he does a somersault throw-in, and it takes a deflection off a keeper and goes in. 
come on, Keith, get Sammy on them. You don't have to train at Martin <laughs> College. You don't have to train at the PTS. Get him down to Ling's Forum. Get the crash mats out. Get the mats out. Get him doing some floor routines with the gym club. Um, let's get him on it. What, he lives with you now. So what what like league that. was that idiot? Persian League. The, what, Where the is Persian? the Persian League? Where is actually his Persia? I've never worked that out. Is it that serious? It's, Iran, it's, isn't it? it's the old name for Iran. Mm. Iran, okay. Have a look. Oh, BBC, BBC Sport website um, yeah. is on there. I wouldn't want Abdul Osman here because the last time he saw my missus, he bought a bottle of champagne. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him anywhere near the bungalow. And also, we're operating a, a, a tier system. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd keep it like that. Have some camped out in the garden, maybe in the tent I've got that I've never used. Perfect. Ian, you can't get away with this story about telling us about Abdul Osman and the bottle of champagne without explaining it properly. Come on, man. Let's, let's hear the story. Know. Know. She, she was she was out in town, and he, her and her friends, and I think she knew. I think he knew one of the friends from um, working at the club in the uh, hospitality. Um, and yeah, next thing a bottle of champagne. I I saw him out. I think around the same time, and I I shook his hand in the street for that uh, penalty at Liverpool back in the days when you could shake people's hands in the street. Those were the days, weren't <laughs> they? Back in the day. Was it real champagne though, or was it like Lambrini or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know where it was. I don't, I don't know what where. I don't know if it was on Bridge Street or uh, it might have been what's that place that Chicago's turned into. Towards the end, Do you remember it was yeah. like it got converted into something else. It might have been in there. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I think Abdulazman's a bit of a legend at the club, isn't it? So we'll, we'll we'll forgive him for that one. Let's move on to Brendan now. Brendan, how you doing, buddy? Um, you've had a promotion recently, haven't you, with your job in the record industry? I was I was going to ask you, can you name us a band that we should be looking out for that we don't, or band or music act that we should be looking out for that we're not aware of at the moment? Yes, actually. Uh, one that's on my books at the moment. And if you're a football fan, which I assume you would be listening to a football podcast, um, a band called The Lathams, L-A-T-H-U-M-S. We, we could have talked about them when we, my first show actually did with you guys when we had, um, I can't remember his name now, I feel really bad, but the Wigan fan and we dissected that game. Um, but yeah, they're a band from Wigan um, doing, doing some big things, relative, recently new signing in the middle of last year. Um, and they just recently raised a load of money for Wigan as well. They 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 put one of their songs on a extremely limited edition seven inch and, and raffled it off, and then they put all the money into the pot to you know kind of keep Wigan afloat. So good lads, um, good foot like football supporting guys as well. I think they were quite recently on Soccer AM as well, so maybe known to some yeah. people. But um, big things expected from them next year for sure, and uh, one I think uh, everybody should be listening to. Sure, I've I followed them a little bit. They're uh, the lead singer's got glasses, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they all look about sixteen, which is like it makes me feel so old because I still remember like when I started my job and you'd get new signings and they'd be young and you're the same age as them and you're like this doesn't feel right that I'm kind of you know meant to be working on them and supervising them and stuff and then now I look at them and I'm like they're kids and I'm like I'm not that old am I like that's just you know super, music stars and superstars are getting younger and younger it seems. I saw them at um, the music festival I went to a couple of years ago at the Lake District. What's that called? Kendall Calling, I'm sure they were. Oh, yeah, Kendall there. Calling. Yeah, yeah. Really good guys up there. Um, yeah, yeah there's so much good music coming next year. I, I think another one would be Celeste as well, but I don't I don't think she's much of a football fan. 
um, sadly. Um, yeah, this is Celeste from Daphne and Celeste, is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. She's uh, she's the girl that won the the Brit Award last year, the Brit Rising Star. Oh, uh, of course, yes, yes, yeah. She's amazing. Right. She's got an album coming out in February that it would really help my case if everybody went and bought. Let's go to Jeff now. Um, Jeff, I was going to ask you. You've done a lot of interviews with people over the years, and you've talked about a couple of them. Can you tell me your most awkward ever interview you've done over any sport? Um, crikey, how long have you got? Uh, <laughs> well, um, not really, not necessarily. Well, it was awkward. Yeah, it was awkward. I asked, um, I went to, I, I've done uh, sort of towards the end, just before lockdown. Um, actually, no, sorry, before I went on the WWE secondment. I was sort of trying to branch out into being a Sky Sports News reporter and actually going to press conferences and media events and stuff. And I did one with um, two England cricketers, which was um, Johnny Bairstow. And I think the other one was Tom Curran. I can't quite remember. Um, and I prepped it all. I, I had loads of questions written down. And um, I don't know if Johnny Bairstow was just in a really bad mood or something, but it just like completely shut down all the questions I had. And the interview lasted way less time than it should have done. Um, sort of my opening question was something along the lines of um, they were off, they're going off to play a one day, some one day series. And I was, I was sort of saying, you know, is that going to be, how valuable is that going to be to have that sort of time at the crease to get you in, you know, to get you in good form or whatever. I think the Ashes series was coming up or a big series was coming up. And he sort of said, well, it, it won't affect it at all because it's a different format. And I was like, OK, uh, well, surely, you know, you just want to get your rhythm up. You know, you get, in, get a bit of momentum, a bit of form. And he said, yeah, but it's a different format. And it was it was it was abs- it was really painful because it was I was I was seated and he was seated. It was opposite me. The camera was behind me. It was lit behind me. And then there was sort of a small army of PR people. And it was being filmed in um, like one of these ultra trendy London sort of soul food cafe type places where they were going to then do some kind of musical thing. Um, I think think they were going to like play um, steel drums or kettle drums or something. And um, so there were about 50 people watching and I just like basically died. Uh, (laughs) And it was horrendous. So that was by far the worst one. And the reason for that was, and here's a lesson to any aspiring journalists and really a good lesson for life, is always be prepared. Although I thought I was prepared, I probably wasn't. And the thing is, when I've covered WWE and when I covered the Cobblers, I was prepared because I just knew the subject inside out because I was interested in it. But that was something where I'm not a huge cricket fan. I wasn't really able to pivot into another question because I didn't know enough about it. So always do your research, kids. <laughs> do you know, that's, that sounds really interesting. Obviously, like part of my job, I travel around to other countries and I'm, I'm, and I'm like with the artist and I set up their promo schedule and I sit in on the interviews and make sure it doesn't yeah. go wrong. There's some artists that like that that can be worse for than others. Like say if they they are like have a political song or mm. I don't know, um, it's something like that. And then they get awkward questions from interviewers. But I, I had it so like a lot of journalists or bad journalists are literally the bane of my life because if the artist is there and they want to go get ready for the show or they want to go out and get pissed or something and they're there with yeah. some guys like fumbling over really crap questions. But I yeah. always remember I was in um, I was in Southeast Asia with Lewis Capaldi at the, at, at the beginning of the year and we did this interview in I think we were in Hong Kong 
and we got put in this room with this radio station from the local label and I thought it was going to be quite a big radio station and then it turned out it was like they literally had like the kids show and it was like these two 17 year olds they were they were not very good they were recording it on like some awful thingy and I had to cancel the interview halfway through because this was getting a bit like this isn't great and it was a bit awkward and then when we tried to leave the room the door handle for the door snapped so we got stuck in there we got locked in the room with the journalist that we just cancelled the interview on. So they totally oh, asking him questions and recorded it. And I'm like, no, it's over. And they're like, you're not going anywhere, so you might as well do it. And I was just yeah. like, never again. If we come back to Hong Kong, there's no interviews, no nothing. <laughs> I'm so really getting, getting notes of hours. peak partridge from, from, from <laughs> yeah, that both was, of it you. <laughs> you're it. never far away from partridge as a sports journalist. There's a very fine line. I, I'd like I like to think that you want to hit the partridge line. I, you know, the yeah, more you definitely. can sound like partridge, the better. Yeah. I think that radio station probably got enough out of Lewis Capaldi to write his autobiography for him. His biography. <laughs> he must have been there for ages answering questions. Yeah, I, I, I must have heard probably close to over a hundred interviews now, especially when we do stuff with America and everywhere else. Like it's 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 a lot. I can answer his questions for him. It wouldn't have taken a lot for, you know, whoever the cricket player was to just to be slightly generous. Yeah. Realise, you know, that the, the, the journalist, you know, is, you know, maybe not done that enough preparation. Well, but just to be I a little generous. Was solid. Yeah. I think he was just in a, I think he was just in a bad mood and he could yeah. probably sense. Like, it was one of these things where they'd been dragged there at sort of like 8.30 a.m. And they were yeah. probably not massively up for it. They probably didn't want to do the the colour bit with the doing the steel drums and be filmed for Sky Sports mm. News and all that. Either that he was Ryan Gilligan's mate, Jeff. <laughs> it could be, couldn't he? He could have bumped into Gilly outside and he said, oh, are you speaking to that prick from the Chronicle and Echo? <laughs> so we're going to talk to Peter Morse, summariser for BBC Radio Stoke on Crew Alexandra about Saturday's game between the Railwaymen and the Cobblers. How are you doing, Peter? I say this a lot recently with Plenty of teams struggling for consistency, but Cruz results seem a bit mixed at the moment. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's been the way. Obviously, every club is uh, striving to find. Um, the, you know, there have been encouraging signs. There have been some really good performances, but I think the biggest disappointment is they they will really feel they should be higher in the table. Some of the displays have been excellent. Um, you know, they've they've uh, for instance they batted Ipswich for ninety minutes at Port. Road and ended up losing one nil and then battered at Gillingham at home and, and didn't win that game either. So um, you know I think the, the displays have been uh, better than some of the results. Um, that's the, the the biggest regret that they'll have. It's, uh, sometimes it's about um, taking the chances and making the most of good positions. Sure, I've looked at some of the recent results and uh, Crew drew one all with Burton, who Northampton actually beat. Recently, so that was a you know probably not the result that Artel was looking for. But then going back a few results, you've beaten Peterborough United two 0 So it suggests that when it when it's your day and when everything clicks together, that Crew are actually half a decent side. I've got to be measured. Obviously, they've only just been promoted, but um, yeah, I think uh, I think to be honest, um, you know, everyone everyone's enjoying watching them. It's been on iFollow and, and uh, of course this season, but. It's been it's been a pleasure to watch them, and um, you know you just you just want them to get a few more goals uh, to, to 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 get the points that they deserve. Yeah, it sounds like Saturday's game. I say this pretty much every week is is likely to be a clash of styles because Cobblers fans, you know, there's quite a few that aren't particularly happy with our style of play, which we shall we call industrial. Um, 
David Artel likes to get crew playing a bit, doesn't he? Possession football and, you know, attractive on the eye. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that he's inherited. I mean, going back sort of 30 years, that's been um, a, a non-negotiable ethos of the of the club. Um, managers don't get to come to crew. They they have to play that way. Um, yeah. Otherwise, they, uh, they they wouldn't get the job in the first place or, or they wouldn't last. Um, obviously, the, as, as you probably know, the club is massively based around its academy and its business model is to develop players and to sell players and to... And to do that, those players have to uh, be brought up in a certain way from age six, seven, eight. A, a, a large proportion of the, the team is homegrown at the minute, and they've they've all been together for you know even even when they're sort of the 2021, 20, 22, they've already been together 10, 15 years, playing that same way. So they can't have a manager coming in and then asking them to whack it long. So David Artel, of course, is fully on board with that. He played for the club as well. He was uh, the captain when they won promotion at Wem. In uh, 2012, uh, um, in uh, as you would say the crew way, um, and it, it is um, inherent in them the little partnerships that they've got have been, uh, as I say, forged over many years. And um, yeah, I do agree it'll probably be a clash of styles. Northampton played Crew last season, and I was just wondering if Artel might be slightly smarting from that because although Crew were playing some really good football and Crew got promoted in the top three. Cobblers beat Crew four one at Sixfields uh, with a, a quite a direct style. So I'm I'm just wondering if Artel might be out for a bit of revenge on Saturday. Uh, well, I don't I don't think uh, revenge will be on his mind. But I mean, I do think that is the game that stands out as Crew's worst performance result, comprehensive beating, whichever way you want to look at it, of uh, of last season, which was obviously an excellent season. Uh, they were top of the league when the the season stopped. Um, and yeah, it, it, I mean, it has been a, a, a situation over the years that because crew produce and focus on getting these nice footballers, talented boys, and playing a certain way that occasionally you can come up against a side that have got you know a load of six foot plus of guys and whack it into the box and, and just bully bully them and, and get the result. Um, if you've been watching crew as long as I have, you've seen that happen many times and, and that's exactly what Northampton did um, last time they met. I mean, credit to them, it, was, um, it, it wasn't a... <laughs> the, the, the result totally reflected the game and, uh, and crew were, were nowhere near the level. So they'll know what to expect, but I think they knew what to expect that day. It's just how can they cope with it. I do think they're a little bit more equipped and I do think there's been a hint that they, they might just stop the team up with a few bigger guys to, uh, to try and counter the threat this weekend. Um, they played in the Papa uh, Johnson midweek. Um, and just the way that the team was picked there, I've got a feeling they might have an extra big guy there. So they might put Luke Offord, who's been playing centre-half all season. I think he could go to right-back because the captain, Perry NG, is a right-back. He's suspended. So I think they might put a centre-half at right-back and bring in another centre-half just to do something about that. And so that, that they'll know what they're up against this, uh, this this weekend. They'll know that Northampton will you know, rely again on set-pieces and, and, and corners and throw-ins and, and all that. And they're very good at it. They've got a lot of success off it. Yeah. Um, so I think they'll be trying to uh, do something about that. But at the same time, they won't abandon the way they play. What they've got to do is assert their own game plan and assert their own side play on the game and make it their type of game rather than the Northampton type of game. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good summary. Um, what sort of setup is Artel likely to go with for Crew? Has he got a go-to tactics that he uses? Go-to formation? 
Uh, yeah, I think they'll, uh, they've been playing 4-3-3 for a, a long time now. It's been very successful for them. And actually the recruitment as well has been sort of based around playing 4-3-3. So I don't see them moving away from that. The only nod I think, they'll, as I said, they'll give to this game in particular is po- possibly just uh, stocking the defence with a few, with an extra tall one, if you like. It just seems like it's going to be one of these interesting clashes again where Northampton have played against several uh, sides that like to boss the ball, especially Milton Keynes Dons. They've got a huge level of um, possession and stuff. It's just whether the opposition can actually break us down. We've got a lot of players behind the ball and whether you can actually uh, you know, do that. So moving on to players that, that are to watch, who do you reckon out of the crew side might be able to unpick a, a stubborn Northampton defence, would you say? Yeah, well, attacking players, yeah. Well, interestingly, Charlie Kirk would have been uh, my first answer, but he's actually been out of the team uh, last couple of games. He's, he's probably one of the players who plays a displays and consistency drop a bit, and he's found himself sure if he'll play. But he, he's been, he's always up there in the stats with goals and goal assists. He's been crude, he's um, to the um, the left of a front three. Uh, likes to drift inside at times, but um, you know can do a bit. And he's got a great partnership with Harry Pickering, the left back, yeah. who is a very attacking, very modern fullback. And he, th- those two are, are almost sort of telepathic in their in their link up play, that overlaps and underlaps. And they know exactly the crew have had a load of success from those two down that left hand side. Um, and as I say, they've, they've they've known each other most of their lives. And... Do you reckon that um, ex cobbler Daniel Powell will play on Saturday? Has he been playing recently? Yeah, he has been playing. Um, it's, it's a hard one to call. He, he, he's him and Owen Dale have actually been uh, have been together, sort of keeping Charlie. And, and neither Daniel Powell or uh, Owen Dale can can in, in a team that's struggling for consistency. They're probably players who are really struggling for their own consistency within that. Um, yeah. uh, the, the game the game before the Burton game, um, I can't remember who it was, but anyway, he was he was unbelievable, Daniel Powell. I mean he was he was the best performance he's put in. Yeah. Um involved in involved in the goals, um a real brilliant performance from him. And then went to Burton and he was very, very quiet and got, got subbed off. I mean he does play in most games. I would say that if it was a cup final on Saturday It'd be Powell and Kirk would probably start, but Owen Dale is really emerging. He's got a brilliant overhead kick at Burton, so I cannot see him losing his place. Sure. So it'll be just whether whether Daniel Powell is preferred to, to Charlie Kirk. Different type of player, as you know, Powell's all about power and pace and directness. Um, Kirk um, a little bit more intricate and clever with his play, with his play disguise um, and, um, and and passes and, and sort of shots from range. So. It really is a toss-up. It's one that I really couldn't call, but um, I don't think the manager was dissatisfied with the performance at Burton. I think um, he would, you know, would have liked, of course, three points, but they they came back, they got a result, and you could see him same saying same again, which would be Powell and Dale um, up front uh, on those wide areas. Yes, we found that Powell was pretty hit and miss for us on his day. He's a very powerful, you know, attacking influence and really a player you want to get to the ball to, but sometimes he does tend to go missing a little bit. But I guess that's just uh, inconsistency of a League One player. If he was you know, consistent, yeah, he'd be playing at a higher level. I think that's exactly it. I think sometimes that's the difference between a top-level player and, a, and one that's further down the league. Sometimes it's just about being able to churn it out week in, week out. And uh, listen, anyone who plays uh, with respect for crew or uh, or Northampton isn't isn't the finished product. You know they've got deficiencies. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, otherwise they wouldn't be at that at those clubs. Um, but he's got a lot of qualities, and, and like I say, he can be unplayable. We've seen him be unplayable 
recently, um, yeah. but we've also seen him be anonymous. So uh, yeah, we can say that about virtually all the players. That's the that's the challenge for those players at, at this level. And uh, if they can crack that, then uh, they'll go on to and play higher. But um, yeah, he's, he's certainly someone that uh, if he's on the opposite side, you you know you, you know you you you'll, you won't you'll be in a contest because um, he's always physical, even if he's not having the best day with his uh, you know with what he does with the football. So yeah, um, yeah he's, he's a decent he's a decent player to have in the squad. And um, as I say, he can be excellent on his day. Definitely. Um, what would you say Crew's seasonal expectations are now? It's been a very stop-start start to the season for most clubs. Hard to get any sort of momentum going. But where would you think that Crew would be happy with, you know, as a finish, finishing position in the League One? Yeah, it's a really tough one because um, it's a, it's an unusual situation for Crew. Um, obviously, the year and the season's unusual for everyone, but. Um, Historically, uh, in recent history, when when crew get promoted, they immediately have to sell their best players. That is the business model, and uh, you know. So, they, so last time they went up in 2012, they sold Nick Powell to Man United for three million. Ashley Westwood uh, went to uh, Aston Villa for a million, and Luke Murphy went to Leeds 12 months later. And then, of course, you struggle because you've just been promoted to a higher level and your team is weakened. And that is what always happens with crew. Dean Ashton, Seth Johnson, going back over the years, they've always got these excellent homegrown players. They bring the success and they bring the money, but then there's almost a um, an, a definite U, uh, U-turn in, in situation coming because the, the side is weakened. But that hasn't happened this season because of uh, the financial situation in football in general. There's not as much money being splashed about, and then of course the pandemic has played into that. So they've kept all the good players. They've kept uh, Kirk Pickering, Ryan Winsler, midfield, a very strong player. Perry Ng, the, the captain, who won't be playing, but he's a he's a very strong player. Tom Lowry, you know they've got they've got. An, a number of good players who you might have thought would have been uh, out the door this summer. They haven't been. So I think to, to, to gauge where the expectations are is quite difficult. I, they certainly won't be um, happy to just stay up. That's that's for sure. If, you know, if you offered David Artel one place above the relegation, he wouldn't take it. Um, I think he's ambitious. I think the team are ambitious. They've got great continuity in terms of personnel it's, it's never a massive overhaul in the summer it's just uh, one or two uh, ins and uh, one or two outs um, now whether you can say should they be pushing for the playoffs or promotion I'm not too sure I, I suspect that they they would like to think they could have a tilt at it I, I think that with the lack of a, a prolific goal scorer I think that what will, might be what stops them but I would expect them to be comfortable in League One. Um, I don't expect them to be involved in a relegation battle. If they can get a, a bit more consistency and a better run of results, and I do think they can be somewhere up there. Let's pin you down now for a score prediction for the game. I'll do one as well, but I'll let you go first. I always let the other person go first so I could just... <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard because I haven't seen Northampton play. You haven't seen Crew play. So yeah, it's difficult. I've seen them a couple no, of times, I mean, but yeah. Right, yeah. Um, well... I suspect both teams will score. Yeah. Um, so I've got to be positive and say 2-1 win to crew. Yeah, I'm going to go for 2-1 as well. I'm doing pretty well. Not blowing my own trumpet in the prediction league. So I'm, I, it's quite important <laughs> now that I actually get this right because I need to keep it right at the top of the league. But I think that Cobblers are just always a set-piece threat. So we can score like we did against Fleetwood out of nothing. Literally, we had none of the ball and we just score from a corner. So we're always likely to score, uh, but I do think that Crew's overall quality will will pay in the end, and I I, I reckon a two one win to Crew as well. I'm just hoping for an entertaining game on Saturday. Our past couple of games have been extremely dour, so 
with us basically parking the bus to an extent. So I just want to see both teams going for it and let the best team win, really. But um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll talk again soon. No problem. Anytime. Cheers, mate. Right then, let's move on to talk to Gary Thompson, former cobbler. He was an important part of Northampton's mid-90s renaissance under Ian Atkins, but before that had a solid career with the likes of Coventry City, West Brom, Villa and QPR, among others. Gary has a new book out called Don't Believe a Word, chronicling his life and career. How are you doing, Gary? It must be really nice to look, take a proper look back at your career. To be fair, um, I never wanted to do it. It never interested me making a book. And Bill Howell, who I've known for years, and he's the kind of drinking buddy, he always used to say, you've got so many stories, you've got to put them down in a book. And I was never, ever yeah. bothered. And then uh, he caught me about two and a half years ago, Ian Stuart Curtis, we was having a beer, and he said, uh, I'll come to the publishing company, it's a company, we're just chatting away, as you do. And then uh, he said, big man, you've got to do it, you've got to do it. And it was in that weak moment, I went, yeah, okay. And then uh, about a week later, when we started having to meet up, and having to uh, start talking about me mum, my dad, and obviously I lost them in the last couple of years, and different things, it became, um, I must say cathartic, it became very, very um, good for me to start talking about yeah. my career. And then as I started the kids at Coventry and it was only when we finished it and it was like a feeling of let down, was that it? But now I've seen the fully finished article, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, you should be because looking back at your career, you've, you know, you had highs and lows, but you, you packed in a hell of a lot, didn't you? You played for, uh, you played in the Villa Blues derby, you played yeah. in the Premier League, Yeah. obviously played for the Mighty Cobblers. You played alongside Cyril Regis and now he, you must have had a huge impact on your career and your life in a lot of ways. What a player. Well, massively. When, when I was a kid at Coventry, breaking into the first team, Cyril uh, turned up at um, West Brom. And um, there was a kid in the forest called Bertie Barry, big black centre forward. And um, he played about four or five games. They're raving about this kid, kid could be the new coming. He's like an Adonis. And he just disappeared. And a couple of years later, Cyril appears. And everyone thought, oh, he could be another one. And then, then he plays against, I think it was Rotherham, picked the ball up. Dance past the player, smashed it in from about 40 yards, and then was like, oof, what we got here? And then, like, as another kid, young kid, just getting in there around the first team, seeing this kid started to do business and that, then all of a sudden, Cyril Regis caught fire the next six months. Then they came to Coventry, him and Laurie Cunningham, Brendan Batson, they played against Coventry, played us off the park. I was a young, young pro, and I saw these lads playing, and that, from that moment, I was hooked on him. By the time I got to go to West Brom, and uh, actually, when I went to West Brom, I didn't want to go. I got Jimmy Hill kind of eased me out the club at the time because Coventry were losing money. So I had to go. I signed. I got bullied at the signing. Then I panicked because all I'd done against West Brom for the six games beforehand was they kicked lumps out of me and I kicked lumps out of them. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to join this club now. But Cyril's there. And he walked in and he was the coolest man. And they always say, never get to meet your heroes because they're disappointed. That's one geezer yeah. never disappointed me. People who saw me play, who, who um, enjoyed my career or whatever, always say I'm aggressive, powerful. I used to be very quick when I started, but a powerful aggression. Like, and Cyril was the calming influence on me at West Brom. He, he, he sort of, people say about, oh, two years at the Albion, scored a lot of goals, went very well. But it was only because I had someone calm me down and show me the ropes, as it were, both on and off the pitch. He, showed, he taught me how to drink um, and also just showed me how to conduct myself on and off the pitch. I did get sent off a fair bit anyway, but Cyril Regis for me, top, top bloke, learnt an awful lot of him, love him to death and it like, was devastating when he died. Yeah, what a what an absolute fine player and, you know, one of England's best ever players in my opinion. Um, isn't it funny how 
you were sort of a young guy making your way in the game and you and I, you were looking out to be like Sierra Regis and that. But by the time you got to Northampton, fast forward a few years, you were yeah. actually sort of the elder statesman. You were yeah. the guy that could actually start giving other people lessons when you were you were probably thinking, well, I've got a lot to learn back in the day. But that's a bit yeah. strange, isn't it? It's just funny how it works out. It, it, it just goes in circles. When I was a kid, Tommy Hutchison, yeah. uh, Barry Powell and all that did that for me at Coventry. Then obviously Cyril and Brendan and all them took it on another level and actually on the the... the background they gave me, the basis they gave me, ended up getting a 20-year career. But then by the time I get to Northampton, and I'm not going to sign for Northampton, I play for Cardiff, uh, I'm suspended again. And Ian Atkins rings me up because I keep met it, meeting Ian at uh, different games scouting. And uh, he said, no, we want to get you in, come, come over to Northampton. Um, you've got two, eight, 18 months of your contract left. We'll have a conversation, we'll sort something out. And I was suspended the weekend. So I thought, well, I'll go back. What My new wife's obviously pregnant. Um, I'll go back and spend a weekend with her, you know, have a conversation with him. And so I went and had a conversation with Akers and like he sold the club to me in such a way that I ended up, Andy Woodman used to say, when you go see Akers and have a, a contract conversation, wear a belt and braces because he will pull your pants down. And in a nice way. And he did. He, he, he bamboozled me with what we were going to do. And it was the new ground mm -hmm. as well. Like, because I just remember the Northampton ground being the county ground. New ground, yep. all of a sudden, like, I'm like, yeah, I can, I can see what's happening. When I start, when I signed the contract, I end up realising I've signed for an awful lot less money. And then, but <laughs> it was it was negated by the fact that I joined a club, and I think I put on Twitter the other day, that car school was brilliant, training ground was brilliant. That, that everything about it was was just what I needed at that time. And I was, I think I was good for the younger players developing, but they were brilliant for me as well. Yeah, it's, it just seemed like it came out at the right time in your career. Maybe just you yeah. needed a little bit of a refresher and refocus yeah. a little bit. You obviously had the Birmingham sort of influence there with various players from Villa and Blues that were at the Cobbers at the time. Ian Atkins, obviously, himself from Birmingham City and everything. So just felt like a right fit. And those characters were integral, weren't they, in kicking the club on and turning oh. it around a club that was actually on its knees for a while, the one that, you know, people actually feared playing against? Yeah, well, when Akers came... Um, he came to Northampton, then he rang me, and he, I think Danny O'Shea, he brought Danny O'Shea in, I think uh, Andy Woodman came in, and all of a sudden what he said was, I need characters here, I need people who they can look up to, who, who uh, conduct themselves properly, but can play a bit, but will lead them in the right way. And to be fair, Woody, myself, we all did that. We knew the responsibility, but they kept us young as well. They, they were brilliant, they were sponges, they wanted to learn, but they were great for us as well. So even though we've, we felt we gave them a lot, they gave us an awful lot. And actually, it, the whole thing took shape. We stayed up the first year. We kicked on the second year. By the end of middle of the second year, I think Jason White's playing centre forward and um, scoring goals. And I'm working with Jason and developing him. And like, um, it just it just dovetailed nicely. And like, I ended up becoming a player coach, then basically a coach with Akers. He taught me the ropes. But the whole thing just seemed to be going on and on and developing and getting better and better. In fact, we got to two player finals two years running. And like, I, I st honestly believe, had we done it right, the following year, we, we could have, we could, well, if we'd have gone up that, that year, the second time, then all of a sudden, I think we could have consolidated and gone on again. But when we did so go frustrating. Again, so yeah. frustrating. We were on like, a, we were on the crest of a wave, I remember. Oh. We were going to, we were going to teams like Watford. I remember we went to Watford. I think we drew, I think Dean Pierce scored, we drew one or We took about five, 6,000 fans. We yeah. were like, it, it was a real thing in motion and it was just that Grimsby game sort of cut it down at the knees a little bit. The next season went oh, it went wrong with injuries. The city stuff, could feel but... the buzz because everything was happening in the right direction. Yeah. We was out in the town. We were doing functions. Yeah. We were getting the interaction with the fans and, and the city anyway. And we all loved it. I mean, 
I, I was like married and had a kid and that, but another kid. But I was like spending more time in Northampton, going to functions, doing reserve games. There was one reserve game we went to. Um, I think it was Stevenage. We came back. And by the time we got back, it was about one in the morning and it wasn't worth going back home. So we all slept in the, uh, the club shop. And then the, the lady came in next day and she just found all these naked bodies lying on the floor. She said, oh, my Lord. Although she did spend 20 minutes eyeing us all up like. But uh, so but we love being there. Like We love being around the place. I mean, I, I'd do my training. Yeah. I'd come in on my days off and do bits and bobs because I wanted to learn as well. But it was just a, a place mm. you wanted to be at and you enjoyed being at. The staff were great as well. I mean, Rebecca Kerr gave us so much stick about training on the pitch and that. But in a way, she half loved it that we'd come down to the training ground. We'd, we'd leave the training ground and we'd train on the pitch. And she'd be like, you can't train on the pitch. And that goes, well, sorry, I can't hear you. And then he'd go, Tom, I'll go and smooth talk a lot. And I'd go up and she'd give me the roller kid. And I'd be like, hang on a minute, I'll keep getting the roller kid for you. But Akers was like that. He, 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 the whole thing was, it was funny, but it was really good the way it was done. Like, I mean, when Ian Atkins, when, when I left, I went to Bristol Rovers and Akers left a few months later. And I think uh, there was bad feeling with the directors or whatever. But I just said, remember, yeah. that geezer's just give you more memories than you've had since Graham Carr. He, in a short space of time, he'd done an unbelievable job. And we just needed to exactly. push on a bit more. Grimsby could have, winning at Grimsby could have propelled us again. I believe the momentum we had, that club could have gone even further. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think looking back on it, maybe the board were a little bit too trigger happy. You know, it, with the with what you did with Akers and everything, it needed that one or two years of grace. You know, it's not yeah. always going to be in a completely upward trajectory. You have got to understand exactly. that it ain't, yeah. ain't going to work like that. There's going to be a couple of your dodgy years in there. But you know, I think Ian showed like when since he's left football, his he's scouting ability is pretty pretty decent. He's, he's you know scouted a lot of it, very good players. So he knows a player because he, he can see a player. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes me and Kevin Wilson, who do skating as well, we'd say to him, he's not one for you, because he don't like the way you play that. I think we signed a kid from West Brom, just trying to think of his name now, so, Tony Dobson. So technically yeah. gifted. I must have watched him about 15 times. I'm like, Akers, he ain't for you, because he wants to drop balls into a centre forward and go link the play and get crosses into the you know, far post and that. And Akers, no, no, no. we got to get better. we got to take the club forward. Anyway, brought him yeah. in. But once he watched him play two games, he went, who fucking signed him? And that was it. Then we took the, me and Kevin Wilson took the bollocky for him, but he hardly ever played. <laughs> Only a Charlie Bishop as well. There was a few he brought in, and in there, he turned to me and Kevin and go, so I did, but that was you. Don't blame me for that. So, yeah, we ended up t- taking a bit of abuse from him. But, yeah, yeah. all in all, we, we took the bantam. He, he was very, very good for us, Akers, in like, um, as a manager, he, he was abrasive at times with people, but with his staff, we knew what we were doing, we knew what he wanted, and uh, he, he was protective of us, taught us an awful lot, and I, I miss them times because it makes me smile even now talking about it, it makes me laugh, and like you don't get too many laughs in football, you know, usually at the sack or getting booed, that place was brilliant, that club was fantastic yeah. for us. That's 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 really nice to hear. Looking back on it, uh, you mentioned the the club shop. Have you broached the uh, infamous punch up between John Gale and Carl Heggs in the uh, club shop in your book? Yeah, well, what Bill does because I, I did a few podcasts. Obviously, obviously, I've uh, um, locked down in that, and obviously, I did the Northampton one. So Bill, all he did was troll the internet, get them, and he's obviously put bits in the book, wrote it. Then I've looked at the copy and um, said, yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. Like, but I think I, I told um, I mentioned it, Clarky because when I was telling Clarky and all them about getting on the podcast and that. And I yeah, said, yeah. oh, we've got mentioned and that. And Clark, he said, I don't care what you told people. I was nowhere to be seen. Franey apparently was hiding under the table. 
And I'm not sure whether it was Sean Parrish, but they're all they're all blaming it on Sean now. But I'm sure it was Clarkson because when I came down, all, all, there was two figures hiding under the thing. To be fair, if John Gale goes mad and starts ripping things and Carl ends, I'll probably hide under the table because them two they could have it. I would have been out the door, mate. I would have been under oh. the table. I've been running down the road. So yeah, that's understandable. But I've spoken to I've spoken to Clarkson since and he's not, he's not having it that he was under the table. So I, I, I don't know, think it'll ever get sold. But there were two figures under the table, definitely. Definitely <laughs> two figures. When I came down and because uh, Jack Janet screamed screaming, I've come down like burst through the door. Although saying that, if they had gone, Tomo, get out of here, I would have been like turntail and gone back up the stairs. So I didn't see anything. But I come down there were definitely two figures under the table. Definitely one was framed, and I could have because Clarkson and Frame were like two peas in a pod because they, they was in the, the car school. The banter used to go all the time. Yeah. If Clarkson wasn't there, I'll show my I, I'll, I'll show my bum. I'm telling you, Clarkson was definitely there. <laughs> and it, it says a lot about Carl Eggs that he was running to front up John oh. Gale. Not many people have done that. Apparently, he was a boxer in his spare time or something. So I think exactly. Uh, I think that's, that, that, that gave him the back the vacuum to sort of take Gale the on. Because even a few months before, we played in the playoff final against um, Swansea, and as we were going up the tunnel, um, I was going up because obviously I get to get get on the, um, the touch the touchline and that. And as I'm going yeah. up the tunnel, um, people are saying good luck to everybody, but they're lined up against each other, and that's when Gale used to intimidate people. And Gale had a bit of a stutter, like and he'd say, "Someone go, good luck." And he'd go, you f***ing what? And all of a sudden, you know, when Jake Gailey turns and looks at you, grown yeah. men just kind of shiver. And look, I was going to a tunnel, and all of a sudden, it, it went up. And all of a sudden, uh, that's when Clark and Gailey had the little set to. Next thing, three months later, we signed Eggsy like, and, um, <laughs> and it all went off. But they, once, once <laughs> they had the little round, they were as good as gold with each other. Once they'd had the, yeah. the it was done. It was never ever and mentioned he, again, he never did, a problem yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, I need to get out, get out of the system, sort of thing. The, the things that club has shop shop has seen. My God, I never, I, oh. I just thought it was a club shop. It's the scene of many, many, many uh, dodgy stuff. It, it was, a, it was a massive um, place. It was, it was a place where stuff was going on all the time, and that was the hub of it. The club shop was always the hub of it. Yeah, yeah. It's nice though, isn't it? Because it's a community club and that. It's nice yeah. to have a little bit of a hub and stuff, but people coming in and out and stuff. And probably still is now, to be honest with you. Exactly, um, yeah. We've tweeted the the link for the book. Yeah. Which it goes on general say on the tenth. Um yeah. is it right that you're trying to sign as many of the copies as possible? Like if people yes. buy them. What what would do? Um they said the first three hundred um I would sign, but uh, if you if you buy you buy the book uh through Curtis Sport and that, and then there's an email link that I, I can send you after. And if you send the email link and you bought the book, then they will uh, personalise it. So if you say that someone put Villa till I die the other day, and I put best wishes to Gary Thompson Villa till I die and all that. Then whatever you want, I will put down. If if you're one of the people that if you buy the book and you want something signed, otherwise, you know, if you want just best wishes signed, then I sign that. I mean, the way I see it, if you can spend that money and buy the book, which is apparently a fantastic read from what I've been told, then uh, the least I can do is sign it. Ackles will buy one and say, uh, "Why did you make me sign Tony Dobson?" <laughs> Oh yeah, it'll it'll get that you to the right that side. Tony Dobson, but there's a there's a list of people Acker's bought and just Paul Wilkinson looked at him and went, "No, nah, I'm not having him." Look, I played with Paul Wilkinson at Watford. And I went, "Gaffer, I told you, Wilco's brilliant at what he does, but he doesn't do what you want." David Seal, fantastic finisher, but once yeah. David Seal has scored a goal in a game, you didn't really see him too much. Acker's were going mad. I'm like, he's a goal scorer. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want from him? He will score goals, but. <laughs> 
Akers, Kevin was Kevin and myself were the we were the uh, yin to Akers Yang as he were whatever yeah. however he was grumpy or whatever we would balance it out with the players so it all the, the the group was worked out really well it worked out perfectly like because you had the, the that, grumpy man which was Atkinson me and Kevin were quite lively yeah that's perfect and that's that's probably why it made a good dynamic and it fit together yeah. with all different characters so yeah maybe to Akers credit he did bring in people that sort of balance each other out but listen yeah. it's really good talking to you I'll, I'll let you you shoot off now but we're gonna we'll push the book and stuff and I'm uh, gonna buy a copy myself I'll, I think it'd really nice. be a really good cr- uh, Christmas present for any Cobblers fan or you know any Villa fan or yeah. whatever club you yeah. play for and some brilliant stories no doubt because I know from speaking to you what happens is you know you'll be talking or thinking about something and then it will unlock another memory so one memory leads to another and then by the end you've got probably probably two books worth yeah well that's what Bill Al was saying like we kept we kept talking and I kept meandering from one story said and that reminds me of another one and we go off yeah exactly and he'd be like we got we got more here we got too much here to be honest like but uh, I'm a man who can tell one story and drift off into another one I've done that all (laughs) my life but that's a good that that's that's good for a writer because yeah it just gives you a good inspiration to write it but Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Tomo, and we'll speak again soon. No Take care. Have a good Christmas, no mate. You take See you later, mate. Bye-bye. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, let's move on now to... This is a little feature we're doing because I've seen a lot of people pining for going to different grounds and we can only go into the home grounds 2,000 years at a time. So we put it on Twitter about grounds that we miss that are away from six fields, you know, big or small, a home or abroad. Uh, I've got a couple myself. I'm going to go to Andy first because Andy, if you don't know, you, you kind of missed it, you know, has been to quite a lot of grounds. I'm not jealous at all, but he's been to a lot of grounds all across the world, really. And Andy, you've got a couple of, you know, interesting grounds from abroad, Avenue that you, you miss going to? Yeah, I mean, you just touched on it anywhere. Anywhere will do after this yeah. um, this horrific <laughs> year. Um, but yeah, I'm quite quite looking forward to getting uh, back back on the horse again next year because um, working on some of the events that I've done down the years, you get the chance. Even if you don't get to a game, I'm a little bit sad in that I just like to um, just like to whiff the aroma even of an empty stadium, just stand outside, take a few photos, sort yeah. of say you've been. Um, I mean, what what Brendan was saying earlier about his mate who's done Argentina. I mean, that is. That's bucket list. I'm not one for a bucket list, but if I was, that would be on it. You know, the Bombonera and the, um, you know, the Monumental and the Centenario in um, in Montevideo is the one I really want to get to before I suspect they knock it down and um, you know start again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I've been to I've been to both Maracanãs, which was which was um, back in 2005. I went to the uh, the old Maracanã, the only football stadium I've been to when there's actually just building work going on inside it. Um, seriously, a couple of vans scaffolded up, and they're just they're just working away. Some of the stands are about half a mile from the pitch, which helps. Um, but yeah, they were just carrying on um, like nothing was happening. And um, got to the new Maracanã for for Rio 2016, and um, a lot of the Italian grounds I missed, to be honest with you. I remember going to uh, to Siena for one time cover a Siena Juventus match and the Siena Stadium is kind of in a bowl in the middle of the city so I had a little tour around this wonderful sort of medieval place and then sort of got instructions where to go just couldn't find the stadium it's just a ring of trees so I'm walking around ringing a guy who's speaking pidgin English back to me 
Um, and it's like you're here, you're here. I'm not, you know, I'm basically sort of in a park with trees and then almost a case of sort of parting branches apart and there's the ground sort of, you know, 50 feet below you. <laughs> Um, but I mean, San Siro, we've heard last last couple of months that that place apparently isn't of any cultural significance. You see the um, story? I can't believe that. I mean, what? I can't believe it. What's the metric there? Um, yes. And yeah, so they're going to knock that down and, and start again. I mean, I went there a couple of times to work. Absolutely brilliant place. Naples, I was there last summer. Um, wonderful, wonderful stadiums in Italy. Decrepit. But that gives them their charm. And also, I remember going to the um, the Friuli at uh, in Udine, probably in about 2005-6, where they still had the Italian 90 Chow logo on everything in there. Wow. Seriously, oh, wow. I mean, yeah, I know. And I've got all this on an old camera, which I can't find now. You know, um, but yeah, uh, certainly the stadiums in Italy, I um, I got a real fondness for them. Yeah, like I could listen to this sort of thing all night. Um, did yeah. you say that Salernitana, you put it on Twitter, Salernitana, I saw one, and it had a really stiff yeah, yeah, did, with no roof. Yeah, it did an event. Um, so that was the Universidad, World University Games, doing the football there, which was sort of um, San Paolo and uh, Salernitana and Benevento. So, um, yeah, I mean, that. Salernitana, oh, what a job that was. Beautiful. 32 degrees, open stadium. Hardly anyone in there, but that didn't matter. It was all about the uh, just just breathing that that Mediterranean air, and um, yeah, I mean that was that was a job where you thought, yeah, this is all right actually. A load of pasta turns up, yeah, this is the life. <laughs> <laughs> where actually is Salernitana? I couldn't I couldn't place it. Whereabouts in Italy is it? Uh, it is um, so it's Salerno, which is um, I don't know about fifty kilometers south of Naples. Okay, so yeah because they um so yeah um just south of naples so they put a they gave you a driver for this job and they're kind of after you've done your your sound checks it's kind of like so the matches were in the evening it's like well we want to get you there in time so we'll pick you up at um, like midday bearing in mind you know 7 30 kickoff get to the ground in time well, yeah sure just uh just get there under my own steam thanks so you know <laughs> and have, have, have a day at pompeii and whatnot um you know, bung the driver, 20 lira, uh, not to tell. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Bob's your uncle. That's absolutely brilliant. We're not, we're not at all jealous, and it's going to be a quite a hard act to follow the ones that you've been to. I was going to say uh, Leighton Orient. I've been there. Brilliant. I quite like, yeah, I quite like that one. But, um, yeah, I'll, I've got a couple. I'll quickly say mine quickly. I've, I always gone about Hereford. I, I reckon if you ever get an afternoon, you know, you're bored. Go get the train from New Street to Hereford. Yep. It's quite a nice train journey. Uh, so it's a little little ground in the middle of the town. You can go for a few ciders in the pubs in town. Got a brilliant terrace. Just for, it literally reminded me of down the hotel end when I went in there. It was absolutely brilliant. So I like that one. And uh, I was talking about on Twitter in Hamburg. There's a lot of good football scene in Hamburg. I actually like the um, the stadium. I think it's a Volkspark Stadium of um, mm. HSV. That's that's massive. That, if you want to go to a massive you know, proper ground with a big terrace and stuff in Hamburg. That's really good. And then you've got San Pauli Stadium is cool and loads of non-league ones. One at Altona, I really recommend. So there are a couple that I'm missing. Well, it's travelling abroad, isn't it? Just, where, where, was know, it where was that one that you put a picture up off the other day? That was a lower it's league. Al German. It's Altona. It's in uh, Hamburg. But yeah. the thing about the football in Germany, non-league is all like regionalised. So instead of having National League South and North, really, you have... So Hamburg would have its own league. 
So yeah. they'll have, you know, 10 teams in Hamburg. All of them have got a very long history. And you'll have loads of little local derbies at the weekend. And so people go for watch HSV. They'll go and watch, you know, Artona or, you know, Victoria Hamburg or one of the other. It's quite cool. So they're just watching football all day and drinking all day. So that's, that's, that's really cool. But the one I put on Twitter was Altona, which is a quite a fairly left-wing club with an old crumbling terrace. And it's, it's very cool. So you know, everyone is ever, you know, needs a weekend away. I recommend the football scene in Hamburg. Um, let's go to you, Martin. You're a, you know, get about a bit. Yeah, I, I, I love love my away, away days and my trips. But I think I've, I've come up with... Um, I've come up with two um, that I really enjoy. They're both trips to the Northwest. So one of them is the wonderful crown ground at Accrington Stanley, which, you know, there was kind of a bit of a kudos about Accrington Stanley, first team in the league and that advert in the 80s for milk. But, <laughs> yeah, a real a smashing, smashing little club. And just as an away day, few beers in the Crown pub, which is like, it feels a bit like the equivalent of the County Tavern when you were going to the, um, yeah. going to the Cobblers at, at, um, at the County ground. And um, yeah, just there's something that feels a bit of a throwback there. And another club in the same, well, up in the same direction is Fleetwood. And Fleetwood, I used to be a bit sniffy about, you know, a little bit, a little bit of rats and dogs about, sorry, um, Andy, a little bit of rubbish and dustbins about them, you know, kind of a lot, lot of money into a, <laughs> into a non-league club, and they were a bit, you know, spent, spent a bit, established themselves in the league. But I've really grown to love them. It's when you go there. We got up there two years ago, um, and the commercial manager waiting for the coaches to drop off. A four menus with. Food prices, beer prices, what games they've got on before going. He said, like, if you want to go to town, down that way, left there, right there. But be great if you can come in. And it's like, wow, guys made the effort to get us in. And you go into their social club, but it's a beautifully done out social club. Reasonably priced beer, reasonably priced food. Really big. It just feels like a great place to be as a football supporter. You know, you, you might be up there in like October, November, great environment before you go to the ground and you feel looked after and I feel that's what football clubs of a certain size should feel like and you know there's there's loads I could say about different away ends I miss um you know a couple of the cut a bit like Fleetwood covered covered away ends you stand and make a bit of noise Burton etc but yeah I think the two that really when we we talked about I'm at Accrington just for the history and a really old school non-league ground in the league, and Fleetwood for that's how you treat fans. Yeah, definitely. I I think about Accrington as well. Um, Andy Hull, you know, he's a bit of a favourite of this podcast. He's put a lot of effort into making that a um, a really good sort of away day. And um, Fleetwood's near Blackpool as well, so you can always go in Blackpool. Just going to read a couple of the um, readers or twi- tweeters. Suggestions. Um, Quick Whittington, who often tweets us, said he went to lucky guy. He went to Bayern Munich's Alliance Arena uh, for a barnstorming free free draw with Dusseldorf, and the atmosphere was quality. That's a massive stadium, and they've got a brilliant support Bayern Munich, so that's a good one. Uh, Deborah Marshall, Wallach originator, has gone for. She goes to a lot of Spanish football. She's talking about La Rosaleda in Malaga, Malaga, mm. plus several lower league Spanish grounds. <laughs> so she goes to a couple of them. Um, Brendan's friend Lewis Kingston. 
you know, it made me made me chuckle, and I thought it was brilliant. He went for the Estadio Presidente Perón, which I think is in Argentina, Buenos Aires, and he also went for Compton Park in uh, <laughs> uh, Cucno. Only yeah. us locals can pronounce that place, bloody hell. I don't know why that's a little that. Uh, ben Wright, a big Cobblers fan, has gone for Crew, actually, and I thought that was quite a good one because um, although it's a fairly nondescript place, it's really easy to get to on the train line from Northampton, and there's a lot of pubs, so... And we're obviously we're playing them on Saturday, which we won't be able to go to. So that was a good one. Jeff, what about you? You've, you've been a fan, uh, you know, a writer, everything in between. Mm. What grounds do you like? Maybe away from, yeah, obviously away from Sixfield, maybe abroad or, you know. Away. Yeah. Yeah. I've not actually been to many abroad, to be fair. I've been to um, Barcelona for the stadium tour and for a game. Um, but yeah. beyond that, I'm not sure I've actually been to that many abroad. Um mm. I, the London, I definitely agree with Ian. Trips into London are always good. We always used to get the train, so you would time it so you land in London as the pubs open at eleven. So you <laughs> might have a couple of cans on. You get sort of, sort of the nine thirty-eight was the classic. I think we would get out of um, out of Northampton. You just you just get there just in time to walk straight into. What was the pub everyone used to go to at Euston? Is it the Royal George? I think it's literally right outside, isn't it? Yeah, so you just go yeah. straight the one there. over the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's literally, it's literally like bar. still part of the concourse. Um, <laughs> so expensive that one. Yeah, we went, we went to a game there once, and uh, we'd we'd been to a game somewhere else, and we had a pint in there before we got the train back, and there were two scousers on push bikes that had um, biked down to see Everton play at Wimbledon, and um, we're like, that's incredible that you've biked down. They're like, well, we're unemployed, just was left on Thursday, biked down, camped out in some field somewhere, and then just biked. And I was like, wow, this, this is brilliant. Um, but yeah, London trips are always good, apart from once at Fulham. And the game at Fulham everyone always talks about is the one where Jason White scored yeah. and yeah. ruined their promotion party. Um, a friend of mine who is, I won't name him because obviously for reasons which will soon become clear, he may not want to be named. Um he, we were in the queue to get into the, um, the away end at Craven Cottage and we'd been in the pub in Fulham. I think it, it was a Firkin pub. I think it was the Pharaoh and Firkin. Um, and we'd obviously spent quite a lot of time in there. And uh, another one of my mates pulled out of his pocket a load of change to get the right money to go through the turnstile. And this lad went way and slapped his hand. So all his money went everywhere. <laughs> and um, the, the police took a very dim view of this, grabbed my mate, shoved his face against the fence and cuffed him, um, handcuffed him behind his back and threw him in the back of a police van. And drove um, <laughs> him off to the local Nick in uh, Fulham or Putney or wherever. And then he had to stay there until about uh, seven o'clock that evening. And then he got a train back to Northampton and we met him out in town. <laughs> so, Jeff, yeah. you've got to understand that no one carries uh, change in Fulham. It's only a 50 pound note. So. <laughs> well, well, exactly, yeah. They thought, who are, these, who are these peasants in West London? <laughs> um, my ground would be, however, and um, it's particularly topical because it's very festive. Um, we always used to get, me and my brother always used to get the Gary Maybe season review videos for Christmas. <laughs> and on one of them, the opening game on it was the previous year's game at Rochdale where uh, the Cobblers lost 6-2 and it had been snowing. I think it's a New Year's Day game. And it, so there's like a dusting of snow on the pitch apart from on the line. And... Um, Rochdale absolutely run riot. Dave Lancaster scores a hat trick and stuff, but it's uh, it's not that open terrace on the away end, and it's just really evocative of sort of Christmas and old football and you know the the snow on the pitch. It's just I just love it. Um, so if I could go back to a ground, it would be Rochdale, but it would be the Rochdale in 
whenever that was, 1993, and on that away yeah. end, which I may have mentioned on the podcast before, it had a, a the toilet was at the back of the stand, had no roof on it, and if you um, pissed against the right wall, you could look over the wall and watch the game go on while you went to the toilet, <laughs> which is just which is just magical, isn't it? <laughs> that should be a feature, shouldn't it, of every ground? Sounds brilliant. Urinal that you can use while you watch the game. Let's move on to the Cobbers A to Z. We're really rattling through it. On to the letter M. Of course, as usual, we have a lot of people tweeting in with some um, responses. So apologies if we can't read them all out. Um, I'll read a couple of them out. We'll go with um, Jefferson Lake's one actually first. He's done some good ones recently. Um, he's getting double points for an MM, which is grown for people of the time, Michael McRitchie. I'll hand over to you now, Jeff. Like, Maybe um, Brendan might not know who this guy is. Can you explain to, you know, what went on with Michael McRitchie and why he was so, uh, you know, a controversial figure at the football club? Yeah, it was um, It was slightly before I started going a lot. But, it, I mean, he, but his legacy lived on. And really, um, he, I, I sort of mentioned this in one of the replies because um, Deb replied uh, saying that, you know, I don't want to like the, the fact that I said, you know, because you like a tweet, don't you? Um, she didn't want to like a tweet that said Michael McRitchie. Um, but really, McRitchie, I said, was sort of, he energised the fan base like nobody has before or since because he was so hated. And he yeah. was probably a huge reason, I'd imagine, why the Supporters Trust was formed, why exactly. Wallet became, Wallet of the actual paper fanzine became quite a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like had quite a presence and carried quite a bit of weight back then. Was because yeah. it was a means of communi- fans communicating with one another and you know all um, you know sort to, to rally troops to this cause. Basically, he was just uh, w- one of um, thousands of chairmen in football who weren't in it for the right reasons, and the club uh, very nearly went out of business. I wasn't actually at Barnet. I don't know if any of the other lads were. Barnet on that day when most of the first team were made redundant and the youth team played. Martin was, I think. Were you Martin? Sorry, be a good wrong mute button here. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I remember going down there and um, yeah, it was. We were we were we on the verge of kind of it almost making history. I think as as you know as was just said, without this, without that. Mm. Would there have been, you know, certainly we found ourselves at the forefront of kind of fan movements and that. And, you know, you'd, you'd probably think, well, with the dynamics that are going on with other clubs, finding sort of the same positions, something would have come up anyway. But, yeah, it was what, dro- what drove the likes of Brian Lomax and Deb and other people who are at the forefront of it. And, you know, like some of us, like youngsters that were hanging around at the time, think it was quite exciting into like, whoa, you know. There's more football, you know. So my feeling at the time, there's more football than winning. It's there's something, something more, and there's kind of a nascent, you know, sense of you could lose this thing that's meaningful to you, and it, it spurred us into yeah. the right sort of actions. Yeah, I remember vividly the red cards that they gave to the the crowd to hold up, and it said Richie out. And I think that, um, Deb printed those. Mm-hmm. It was just like a really straightforward protest, but it was really effective. And um yeah. talk about Brian Lomax. Brian Lomax stood up to Michael McRitchie and Brian, Brian Lomax won the day. McRitchie mm-hmm. was off on his heels eventually. And um, I was speaking to an AFC Wimbledon quite a big AFC Wimbledon fan really involved in the setup of AFC Wimbledon just by the by. But he told me that basically without Brian Lomax and Northampton, 
there would be no AFC Wimbledon because Brian Lomax went down to, after Northampton, went down to Wimbledon when they were sort of muting a, muting a new team and he really rallied them to do it. And he literally said to me, this guy, that without Northampton and Brian Lomax, there wouldn't be an AFC Wimbledon. So that's like brilliant and just shows you what fans can do. But yeah, McRitchie was showing the door eventually um, and just a guy that should never have been involved with a football club. Um, so that was a, that's a really good one from Jeff. Um, Northampton Town, Turkey. He's gone for, you know, why are guys supporting cobblers in Turkey? <laughs> we'll never know, but fair play to him for doing it. He's gone for Callum Morton, aka the Ginger Pele. Very good player. Uh, Ian Conspicuous has gone for Trevor Morley. Now, you know, clearly one of the best players that cobblers have ever had. And um, just an just a absolute brilliant player and a brilliant hairdo he had. Uh, ben White's gone for Scott McLeish. Say no more, brilliant striker. Uh, Ross Darm has gone for Martin Reeves now that was uh, I think that's probably one of Jake's sort of times of, um, of of players probably around the 2000s do you remember him Jeff Martin Reeves probably one of um, you know one of those non-script yeah. players we had yeah he was um, he was the, I think the first player I interviewed because when they signed him Case was on holiday and so I had to go to Six Fields to interview him on arrival. Martin, it was a Martin Wilkinson signing. They'd released him. Leicester City had released him. And uh, brilliantly, and I don't know if this was a stitcher, Case asked me if I could get his phone number because you like to have as many players' phone numbers as possible. And I asked him, and he was about to give me it, and the club said, no, sorry, we don't do that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, yeah, I think he was the... But he was... Um, uh, it, very much like a style over substance type player. And that, that's, that's a little bit unkind, isn't it? But I mean, he didn't ever really live up to expectations. Oh, you know, this is a player that's come from Premier League Academy um, and very much looked the part, but yeah, not, didn't actually really contribute a great deal. I'm going to sound like a, you know, a uh, sort of northern sort of midland sort of uh you know not uncool person which is probably why i am but do you remember, didn't he used to have like a um quite a, like a, a trendy haircut like some sort yeah of... <laughs> yeah he had the, the the spiky the spiky bleach blonde hair didn't he uh and all that uh deborah marshall's got a couple more she's she gone for christian mclean now we talked about him before and he just seems to me sound like he's from a toothpaste firm um martin christian <laughs> mclean 90s was it 80s, late 80s, 90s? Early 90s, I think. Um, Ex-understudy to Devon White at Bristol Rovers. He was another big lad. Didn't didn't do a great deal there, but I remember the name from the old match facts and that, that, you know, a mildly autistic kid would have poured over. Um, <laughs> came to us when we had no no money and were terrible. I had one good game, maybe played half a dozen times for us, um, if that but had an immense game one December, I think it was. I remember being cold and wet and horrible. We beat, we beat Halifax 4-0. And I'm sure the headline in the Cron, if it wasn't it should have been, was onward Christian soldiers. And he just bullied their centre-halves, <laughs> got a goal, and we, we'd been great. But, yeah, re, um, just you know, like a lot of us, I think, like a lot of supporters, we all, we all love a trier. Someone who hasn't, isn't quite good enough but gives their all. That's always going to get you going, especially at times when you're not when you're not watching great football. Um, interesting enough, came across him um, in more recent more recent times. Uh, Fire Brigade Union rep down in um down in Essex yeah. somewhere now. Yeah, 
And that's uh, for all the listeners. That's a Martin Maloney bingo. He said a player that was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but every week, Martin starts describing a player and eventually admits that he wasn't very good at it. There's so many Cobblers players that uh, <laughs> that's it, that feel. So that, well, that's what- a good one. Watching the Cobblers since the mid '80s, there there could be a long list of people that weren't very good. <laughs> Plastering service has gone for a bit of a legend in Northampton circles. I can't really say too much about him because a lot of the stories associated with him are just, you know, oh, I can't even talk about it. But he was yeah, a bit of a character on the terraces, let's say, back in the in the tasty days. A guy called Mad Mick. Uh, he's a hotel and regular. Um, but yeah, apparently known for being a bit tasty. So I think uh, one plaster is uh, alluding to that one. Say no more. Uh, Keith Beer's gone for Billy Mackay. Obviously, the Scottish... Stri- Actually, not he's Scottish, he's in Corby. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> back in the uh, days of, you know, I think it was Ian Sampson, obviously a legend of Liverpool. That's a good one. Uh, he's also gone for Michael Jacobs and Alan McCormack. I'm going to add one myself, and we'll probably end on this one. And I'll just let uh, let Jeff the joys about this guy. Matthew Rush, we've talked about him a few times. I mean, that'd be my one. Um, uh, just... Just you listen to the interview eye. with him because it was just amazing, wasn't it? Because he just wasn't yeah. showing any interest in football at all, but a very good player. I'm just, I'm just, I'm staggered by that. Even now, I'm still absolutely staggered by yeah. that. That he, he says in that interview, didn't he? And definitely go back and listen to the interview if you haven't done already. He, that he didn't. That his first, was it something like he had been in West Ham's academy for a few years, and they took yeah. all the academy players to a, a home game at Upton Park, and that was the first football match he'd ever seen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that he hadn't played in, obviously. I just, I can't. Someone that's absolutely brilliant at something, but seemingly has no interest in it. It's just like, mm. it's weird. It's just, I can't compute it, really. It's fascinating. And he played under um, Harry Redknapp and Billy Bonds as well. So obviously mm. the Academy of Football, West Ham. If you're going to be in a, an academy of, you know, any club, West Ham is, is up there. But when he when he came on the scene back in the 90s, he was... You know, Ian Atkins didn't have many players that were, <laughs> were actually that skillful, did he, Jeff? So he, no. he just sort of like, he was pacey, wasn't he? And just, yeah. you know, just a sort of player we needed back then. I remember him being, as well as being quick, I'm, I've got this mental image of him just being like stacked as well, like really tall and powerful and muscular. And yeah. there were a couple of games, and I don't know if this is just like the, the um, through the prism of history and the, you know, nostalgic tint, that he, it just, it was like watching a, a man playing against little kids, where he would just run around, take dribble around three players at once and whip it in and smash a shot in from 30 yards out and things like that. And just, yeah, I, I, we talk, we spend hours talking about Matthew Rush if you like, and he only played about 14 games, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And when I, I, I spoke to him, he was very bemused as to why I'd want to speak to him because he was only <laughs> at the club, only at the club for a short amount of time. But when I sort of started speaking to him. He was like really pleased because obviously as a as a non football player and with a you know his wife is a, is a you know in the British Fashion Council or something like really you know, a, a clever woman I don't think they probably talk about football so much so he was probably quite pleased with it for anyone yeah. listening I recommend just googling or YouTubing Matthew Rush's goal I think it was the Ipswich for West Ham it was a volley from quite far out and you look at that and then you think how the hell did this guy end up at six fields mm. but he was uh, he was a brilliant player um. Let's let's wrap up now. We've been talking for a while. Um, I'm going to leave Martin because he needs to go and watch the the stream online of the Appalachian Clunge Dippers baseball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might go watch that. <laughs> but, oh, you you could Google it. it. There are there are weird names. It did not sound <laughs> totally beyond the, the 
possibility. I do, you know, I do warn you, if you Google Appalachian clunge dippers, you might find stuff that you expected. It might not be baseball or, or basketball, but I've just let you do it if you want to. But anyway, guys, uh, thanks for talking and we'll chat again next, next time. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Cheers, Cheers all. Guys. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Take it easy. Yeah, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.